welcome you today to the continuation of our Relationship Rehab message series. I've mentioned before in several messages that when I got married nine and a half years ago to my wife Stacy, I carried several bad habits into the marriage. One of those in particular that I remember related to our cars. In fact, my wife Stacy, whenever she would get out of a car, she would always clean up the trash that she had brought into the car. I, on the other hand, with my Chrysler LeBaron 1997 white with red leather interior that we had affectionately titled the Red Shark, I would let the trash build up. I would take my coffee mugs, my water bottles, anything that I had brought into the car with me would be collected on the floorboard until the point that I couldn't stand it anymore, and then I would get frustrated and angry and then take everything out of the car. Now, the other habit I haven't told you about in any of my messages related to how we handled the dishes after a meal. My wife, Stacy, whenever we would cook, she would want to clean up the dishes immediately after dinner. How many of you guys are like that? You want to get them off, cleaned up, and get the kitchen clean? I, on the other hand, would rather let the dishes build up and go watch Sports Center. So what we would do is at first in our marriage, I still can't believe that we did this. She would clean up and I'd go watch Sports Center. It was like a compromise. Uh, and then later on, she decided at points she would acquiesce and cooperate with my desire, and so she would come and sit down with me. And what would happen is the dishes would collect. And so you'd get dinner there, then breakfast dishes, and then the following day you'd have lunch and dinner until finally bugs and animals would start to come out, and you'd see raccoons in your kitchen. And I realized that when we went to clean up the dishes later, it was twice as much work as it would have been, and we would spend two hours in the kitchen scrubbing the dishes just to get them clean enough to put into the dishwasher. And there was going to be hard work and pain no matter what we did. It was just a matter of where we placed the hard work and pain. And the same is true for us relationally, that every relationship that is long-term involves some level of pain. Relationships that are healthy require hard work and tenacity. And what we're going to talk about today with this principle of clearing it up in our relationships, we can place the pain one of two places. We can place the pain on the front end with the hard work of keeping our relationships clear, or we can place the pain on the back end when that relationship grows and ultimately explodes. What we said last week as we started this series is that there is a process of healing that we can walk through which leads to strength and restoration in our relationships. We said that there's a biblical process, five steps that we're going to highlight through this series. Last week, we addressed putting others first. This week, we're going to talk about clearing it up. Next week, we're going to deal with rebuilding trust after it's been broken. The fourth week, we're going to talk about how to have fun together. And then in the fifth and last week, we're going to address how to strengthen the boundaries in our lives, in our relationships. And what we're doing with this series is we're looking at every different type of relationship in our lives, from marriage, friendship, dating relationships, familial relationships with parents and siblings, that as we walk through this process and cooperate with God, it can lead to healing and restoration. And today, we're going to address this whole subject of clearing up the relationships in our lives, keeping short accounts. If you're taking notes, this is the overarching principle that we're going to address today. Short accounts lead to long, healthy relationships. Short accounts lead to long, healthy relationships. If we're going to experience long-term health in our lives, 
in every relationship that we have, we have to put the emphasis on keeping short accounts. And the flip side of this, if we fail to do this in our relationships, then the dust begins to build and the trash begins to collect and the dishes, per se, of our lives begin to get dirty and eventually it will explode. Eventually we'll have to give attention to it. So we can today make the choice to give the attention to now so that in the long term we can experience the kind of health that God wants us to experience. And to do that, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in the book of Ephesians of the New Testament, chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. The Apostle Paul, who writes close to one-third of the New Testament, writes this passage of Scripture to people who've made a decision to follow Christ. In fact, most of the Apostle Paul's ministry was to a group of people called the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles were different than the Jews. The Jews were the folks who had the Old Testament that had over 600 laws. And now in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was going to boil down what it looked like for a person to actually live out the commandments of Christ after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. The first half of Ephesians, he lays down the framework of God's love, of his calling upon our lives, of how by his grace we can have relationship with him. And then in the second half of the book, he gets into what it looks like for us to relate to one another and to live a new life in Christ. And we pick up in chapter 4, verse number 20. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He starts off and he says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is be, being corrupted by its de deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying in this verse here is that there is an old way of life before we entered into a relationship with Christ, if we've already made that decision. And there is this constant renewal process that we need to take our minds through, our hearts through, to put off this old way of life, the Bible calls it our flesh, that, it, that corrupts our perspective and to put on a new way of life for our minds and our hearts to be renewed, to focus on the life that God asks us to live. And then he's going to describe for us what that means and he's going to dive into how we can live with short accounts in our relationships. Listen to what he says next. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are one body. He says, we are all members, and in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he says, consequently, you put on this new way of life. There's an old way you take off. And the new way of life is this. It's speaking truthfully to one another. And, and in our anger, to not let that anger build up to the point that we would sin against one another. But there's a very important verse or a very important phrase that the Apostle Paul uses at the beginning of this passage. He says, this is how each one of you is to live. There are no exception clauses for us. No if, ands, or buts about it. No way around the commandment that he gives to us in this verse. He says, each one of you, this is how you are to relate to one another, to speak truthfully in your relationships. It's kind of like this. I have my iPhone here, and on my iPhone, I have this app called Lose It. 
and there's another one called MyFitnessPal. And on MyFitnessPal, you know what I do? I track all my calories, or I should track all of my calories, I should say. And then at the end of the day, after you have used MyFitnessPal and you've tracked all of your calories, you know what it says to you? I hate this. It says, if you continue to eat like this, in six months you will weigh 245 pounds. And you look at it and you're like, dang, I don't want to weigh 245 pounds, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop recording my calories. (laughs) But what I've discovered, I can trick the calorie counter, but I cannot trick reality. And no matter how I record it, If I eat this way, this is the destination. This is the trajectory of my decision. And the same is true with what the Apostle Paul is saying, that there is this new way of life in Christ. There's a new way of relating to one another, and we can ignore it. We can try to trick the truth. But the consequences for us of not living this way is letting anger be the emotion that dictates our relationships. So he says the solution is to keep short accounts. It's to not let the sun go down while we are still angry. I've been explaining this to my boys. And one day, one of my sons, Cademan, who's six years old, he says, Dad, well, that means we should go ahead and catch the sun. We need to run outside and figure out where it's going down because the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And I'm like, no, that means that we should actually deal with our anger, not catch the sun. But the Apostle Paul says, don't let it go down while you're angry. Keep short accounts. Keep your relationships current. Keep conflict current in our relationships. This is the kind of communication that leads to long-lasting, healthy relationships. And he points out that there is an enemy who's vicious, who's on the attack. The scripture says that he is like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he can devour. He comes to steal kill and destroy the things of God. What he wants to do is destroy our relationships, destroy our marriages, destroy communication between parents and kids, destroy relationships between siblings and friends, between co-workers. And if he can begin to destroy our relationships, then he can begin to work at our strength and ultimately destroy our relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul says the greatest offense that we have relationally is to keep short accounts. Because what happens in any component of our lives, as darkness grows, as miscommunication happens, that the things in our lives which tend to fester and destroy us are those areas of our lives that grow in the darkness. And the Apostle Paul says we've got to shine light on the darkness in our hearts and in the darkness in our relationships and speak truthfully to one another. But now he's going to lay out how we actually do this. Because some of us, we're shouters. Others of us are powders. Shouters, we like to attack a problem, attack a person like a jaguar and go for the jugular. Any shouters in the room? A couple honest people. Powders, on the other hand, like to retreat and build a case. And we start to keep accounts of what's went wrong, what has gone wrong. And then at that opportune moment when we've built our case, then we go, Rah! and we explode. Any powders in the room? See, the Apostle Paul deals with both ends. He says, speak truthfully to one another. But then Ephesians 4.29, listen to what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs so that it might benefit those who listen. Now, could you imagine if you just went through your words over the last week and with a radar just said, okay, these are the number of words that I have spoken which have been helpful to those in my life, and these are the number of words that I've spoken which have not been helpful. Where would your words land? If some of us move towards this verse, if we only spoke what is helpful for building up others, we wouldn't speak very much. In fact, the Bible says in, with many words, uh, when, when words are many, sin is not absent. And the Apostle Paul says to control your tongue, to speak truthfully, but also to speak in such a way that we build one another up with our words. And here's the first principle that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. That after we understand the process of healing requires hard work and tenacity, that we must be the kind of people that address the problem without attacking the person. Address the problem without attacking the person. There is a radical difference in our communication when we communicate in such a way that we address the problem versus when we attack the person. When we attack the person, we use phrases like this. You always fill in the blank. You never fill in the blank. For example, a spouse gets home from work a little bit late, a couple days throughout the course of the week, and instead of trying to understand why they've gotten home late, what do we say? You always walk through the door an hour late. What is your problem? Come on, get it together. Or a child that comes home in a bad mood from school, a teenager, and that teenager, when they come home from school, they're frustrated with you, and it explodes, and the relationship seems to go awry, then all of a sudden, in communication with that person, in the middle of that conflict that we're working through, we jump on them. You never communicate with respect. You never show honor to your parents. Do you see the difference between addressing the problem and attacking the person? I remember earlier in my relationship with my wife, Stacy, that when we first got married in our communication, we had a lot of challenges with our finances. And I remember many times when she would come to me and she would speak about our finances, and she would say, you know, I'm really concerned about this area of our finances. I'm, I'm concerned that we don't have enough money to pay the bills. And I would interpret her communication to me as this. You're not an adequate provider. You can't hold it together financially for our family. I, I don't understand what your problem is. And she would never say any of those things to me. That was my interpretation of it. And in response, I would say things like this to her. Why don't you just trust God? I mean, come on, why can't you just understand that he'll provide for us? He's always taken care of us in the past. He'll take care of us now. And I would spiritualize the problem. Any of you guys spiritualize your problems at times? Maybe you don't want to self-acknowledge that, but your spouse, if that's your spouse or somebody you're with, just kind of give them an elbow. That's you. You spiritualize it. And then we make the person feel bad by attacking them instead of addressing the problem. And what I'm learning more in my communication that there is a difference when I address the problem I can engage the person by using language like this. Help me understand. What is the problem here? What, what is the issue that is causing the things we're seeing above the surface? Maybe it's a coworker that every time you walk into work in the morning, you can just tell that they're in a pissy mood and it's like they haven't had their coffee yet, but they take it out on you. Instead of attacking that person, if we engage that person in communication, we try to understand 
their point of view. It's like in a game of tennis or ping pong. You ever seen those guys in the Olympics, that the, the, the Chinese dudes with their ping pong, and they're like, yeah, yeah, like that. That's a good interpretation, isn't it? <laughs> and they, they're like attacking the other person. Now, when I play ping pong, I'm just trying to stay at the net. I'm like, if I can just get the ball over the net, I'll, I'll be fine. See, there's a difference when we're attacking the person. It's like we're trying to hit him in the face with the ping pong ball. But addressing the problem is staying at the table, recognizing that the person on the other side of the table is not the problem. The problem is in the middle of the table. And when we work on, to it, on it together, we can come to a healthy, life-giving solution. Address the problem without attacking the person. Maybe do an analysis of your life over the last week. And every time a situation arised in conflict, there was a relational rift. Did you address the problem or did you attack the person? Now watch what the Apostle Paul says after this. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says that in every conflict, every relationship, the Spirit of God is at work in communication. In fact, he uses this word grieve. I looked up the original language this week. And what literally he's saying is do not bring sadness to the heart of God as we relate to one another. That we can either engage in conflict, engage in relational rifts in such a way that we pounce on people or we can do it in cooperation with God. And what I've realized in friendships, in marriage, in staff relationships, that the Spirit of God is always at work in people's lives and in people's hearts. And when I can come into the situation with an attentiveness to this, it gives me much more gentleness and awareness of that person's emotions instead of trying to beat them over the head with what I see as the problem and attacking them. I thought about this with my son, Sammy, who's almost four years old. We adopted him when he was two years old from Ethiopia. And recently I was having a conversation with a father who adopted three boys and all three of his boys are full grown, or I should say they're 18, 16, and 14 now. The two younger boys he adopted at birth. The older boy he adopted when he was the same age Sammy was when we adopted him. And he said, as we watched our three boys grow up, we noticed that there was a significant difference in our older boy, who we adopted at two years old, versus our younger boys that we adopted at birth. What we saw Whenever we would engage in a conflict or a problem with our oldest boy, we saw insecurity in him in, the ways, in ways we didn't see in the younger children. And what we started to notice, this pattern would emerge. We'd have a conflict. He'd go to his room and pack his bags and say he was leaving our house. And we had loved him for 12, 13 years at that point. Or he'd ask us questions like this, Dad, are you going to send me back to my family or to the place that you adopted me from, there was this underlying insecurity inside of him that affected his communication with his parents. Now, I'm saying this to make a point. I want you to see the overarching principle in the middle of this. I began to realize in my communication with my son, Sammy, that there were a lot of things he was doing just to see if I would love him, just to see if I would be consistent with him. And now instead of looking at a conflict as, man, this kid needs to get his behavior in alignment, I started to see, here's a little boy that was abandoned when he was 15 months old. 
and his birth mother dropped him off at an orphanage, and he had no clue what was going to happen with him. And the scars go deep for this little boy. And I'm given the commission by God to love him gently and graciously with my words, with my actions. And if I can engage in conflict, and if I can engage in training with that paradigm, it changes the way that I approach the relationship and approach the communication. Every person we communicate with is someone who's been created by God and is loved by God. And if we can see them through that lens and cooperate with the hand of God in their lives, it will lead to this lasting type of fruit that we're talking about today. Principle number one, or overarching principle is this, the process of healing in relationships. When we have short accounts, it leads to long, healthy relationships. To do this, we must address the problem without attacking the person. And then secondly, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Of, of malice. See, I believe what he's saying here. In our relationships and communications, we have to get to the root of the pain, the root of where that relationship began to deviate. That's point number two, if you're taking notes, or step number two, that we have to get to the root of the pain in every relationship. See, whenever there is a relational rift, the problem is not just what we see on the surface, it's what's under the surface, and our natural tendency is to attack what's on the surface instead of realizing in a marriage where communication is going awry, there may have been some hurt, some pain, some brokenness 5, 10, 15 years ago that never got cleared up. And instead of just going to what's on the surface, we have to go, what's under, go to what is under the surface. It's kind of like this dollhouse here. If you'll look at this dollhouse, on the top, you see these pretty beautiful floors, and this is the way most of our lives are. We can cause it to look good on the surface, but what you see down here is a basement, and one of our volunteers put cobwebs in here, and if you can get really close, you can see that it's dark, and it's cold, and it's, it's way different than what's on the surface. It's way different than the top of the house. Growing up, let me say it like this. I grew up in Michigan where we had basements. How many, how many of you guys grew up with a basement in your household? And you remember in your basement how you could just throw things down there and nobody would see it? And we would keep the top floor clean, and then we would put all the stuff we don't want people to see down in the basement. I remember my mom, and this is not to make her look bad, and if you see her and meet her, don't ever tell her I told you this, but she would take laundry, and there was a pool table in our basement, and she would throw laundry down on the bottom of the stairs, and then she would clean the laundry, and she would throw it on top of the pool table, and then we would have to go and rummage through all the clothes on top of the pool table to find clothes that we would wear. And we would do this with many different things, from boxes to things we did not want people to see. They went down in the basement, and we kept the top floor clean, and people would come over our house, and it looked great, and it's nice, but there's all of this stuff underneath the surface. This is the way we are often in our lives as we relate to one another, that on the surface, everything looks good. We can smile, we can come to church on Sunday, look all put together, and act like everything is okay, but there's this deep pain in our lives that, that we never get to. We never get to the root that produces the fruit. And in order to change the fruit, we, got to, we have to go to the root of whatever the pain is that we're experiencing. 
if it's a friendship, if it's a marriage, if it's a relationship with a coworker, if it's somebody you're dating, if we don't go to the root, to the bottom level, what happens down there? Stuff starts to fester. And what grows in the darkness is never good. We used to have this mold in our apartment that we lived in, and it grew in the darkness underneath a bed because there was no light there. It was dark. And the same is true as we relate to one another. Anger, bitterness, brawling, malice, slander. All of these heart conditions grow in the basement of our lives. And the Apostle Paul says you got to go down there and start to clean it up, start to clear it out. Not just deal with what's on the surface, deal with what's underneath the surface. And then this last verse, he says this. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in Christ God has forgiven you. He says it's not just enough to go and to pull out the root, but we have to put in a new paradigm. There's, remember at the beginning of the passage we talked about there is putting off an old way of life and putting on a new way of life. He says the old way of life is rage, anger, bitterness, malice, slander, all kinds of heart conditions that destroy our lives. We have to take out that root and put in a new root, a new paradigm, and the new paradigm is this. It's a paradigm that accepts responsibility and extends forgiveness. Accept responsibility and extend forgiveness to the people in our lives. We go back to where the relationship deviated, we get to the source of the pain, and we accept our responsibility in the pain that we've created, and we extend forgiveness to those in our lives who have hurt us, harmed us, caused us great pain, and sometimes this is so difficult It's so challenging because one conversation often can make the situation worse. Oftentimes, the people that we're communicating with don't reciprocate the same kind of health that we were hoping would happen in the relationship. And there are two components to this that I want us to camp on in conclusion. It's the accepting responsibility and in addition to that, extending forgiveness. I think about how many times in my life I've made a decision to hurt somebody else, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I said last week in my message, my little squeeze on the shoulders with my boys that sometimes I, in anger and frustration, squeeze them. And yesterday, we were in our kitchen, and my son Cademan was going crazy. He was acting like he was just had been pinned up in a chicken coop for days. And he's running across the house and banging into cupboards. And I open this one door, and he jumps into the door and almost causes the door of the cupboard to fall off. I mean, he's just like going crazy. And my natural instinct was to take these, the pinchers and to reach down on the arm and just squeeze. And I did it. I squeezed. Cayman, wake up. What are you doing? Get your head in gear. Come on. And the immediate response out of him, as you could imagine, was she just burst into tears right there in the middle of our kitchen. And very quickly, I realized I was out of alignment in that. And I had to come over to him a few minutes later and pull him aside and say, I know that daddy's bigger than you, but it's never acceptable for me to mistreat you and for me to speak to you harshly the way that I just did. And I want to tell you that I was wrong. I want to tell you that I am, I'm sorry. And I want to ask you to forgive me for the choices that I've made. 
And there, I could look at both of my boys' faces, and Sammy, who's four, and Caitlin, who's six, are standing there like, we got him, we won this one. Just a <laughs> sense of satisfaction. But you know, when we quantify the moments in our lives where we deviate from God's best relationally, man, the list could go on and on and on and on and on. And when I begin to frame my life with those three phrases, when I'm off, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, it changes everything about the way that I approach my relationships. And now I can begin to approach relationships not just accepting responsibility, but I can also begin to approach my relationships where I extend forgiveness to the people who've harmed me, who've hurt me, who've caused pain in my life. You know, there's this brilliant concept in the Old Testament of the Bible. Back in the book of Leviticus, way back in the middle of the law, there was this one time a year called the Day of Atonement. And on this one day, the Day of Atonement, the Israelites would take one animal and they would sacrifice the animal and the blood of that animal would be spilled out and then they would take the blood of that animal and put it on a goat on the head of a goat and they would send this goat off into the wilderness as a symbol that all of the sins for the israelites for that year were being sent away and cleared up they called it the scapegoat it was a clearing up of the past and now on the day of atonement Everybody stood before God with a clean slate, a new opportunity to serve him, to love him, a fresh year. And when Jesus came in the New Testament, the scripture said that he became the scapegoat that literally took the sins of the world, not something that would have to happen once a year or on an ongoing basis. It would become the clearing up that would be the full and final payment for the sins of humanity so that all who would place their faith in him would find mercy and forgiveness in God. He cleared it up. He cleared it up so that we could stand before God with all the dishes that are dirty and all the junk and all the trash in our lives, that it would just be wiped clean, that if we by faith will trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, we stand before him. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates us, our sins from us. The Bible will say in the same passage that deals with this concept of Jesus becoming a scapegoat, he says that I will remember their sins no more, that I will, I will not look at them and see them as vile. I will not look at them and see their dirtiness. I will look at them and see them as holy. I will look at them and see them as righteous and clean before me. And now it's been cleared up. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in him, you've been forgiven. And then what the Apostle Paul is saying is if you've been forgiven, if you've received mercy, then the new paradigm, the new self, the new way of life is to look at every relationship to realize the magnitude of my offense before God, that he's cleaned the slate, and now I can offer that same forgiveness to the people in my life who've harmed me, who've hurt me, who've caused me pain. Now, friends, I know that this is not easy. In fact, every week when I preach, I want to take my heart through the grid of what I'm going to stand up here. I've already got enough hypocrisy in my life that, is, that I'm unaware of. I might as well deal with the hypocrisy that I can see and make sure that I'm living out what I'm saying to you. There's a relationship in my life that I cannot go into great detail about. 
but it's a relationship that has caused me great pain for a long period of time. I had an infraction or a miscommunication or a disappointment in that relationship recently. And I decided I would call that person and I would try to clear it up this week. I picked up the phone, I called them, I got on the phone with them, told them something recently that had happened that had hurt me. And that person just threw it back on me, didn't accept responsibility, said they were sorry, but kept making excuses for why they had done what they had done that had caused me pain and hurt. And I I think that God took me through that to give me a higher level of compassion for what many of you may be walking through relationally. That we can do all of these things perfectly or by the book as scripture communicates. And in the end, relationships are reciprocal. They're two ways. And there may be this ongoing hurt and frustration in our lives, but, but what I wrestled through is I took that step to do what I'm talking about today and there was no reciprocation in the relationship. It reminded me that when I stand before God, what I will stand accountable for is not the responses of other people to me. I will stand accountable before him for my responses to him and my responses to others. And what I can do in the meantime is I can accept responsibility for where I'm off and extend forgiveness even though a person might not realize how deeply they've hurt me. I still, because the grace of God, can give grace and give forgiveness into that relationship. And even though there's this deep pain and this deep hurt in this one area of my life that I cannot seem to fix, there is great peace knowing that I've been obedient to God, that I've walked through what he's asked me to do, to take my responsibility for my choices to begin to work with him, to see any kind of relationship that might be able to come about I've been faithful. That's what God wants out of us. It's not to point the finger. It's not to blame somebody else. It's not to say, hey, I went to South Bay Church and I got these five steps in the process and you're not working with me here. Your life is messed up. You need to get it together. You need to listen to these messages. No, it's us before God saying, I recognize the relationships in my life. I will accept responsibility. I will address the problem without attacking the person. I will extend forgiveness. And could you imagine if this was the frame of reference for every relationship in our lives, the difference that it would make. My hope is today that no matter where you are in your journey, that you would make the decision today to keep short accounts in friendships, in marriages, at your place of work, to do the hard work to understand that we are broken human beings and will never be perfect, and the people we communicate will definitely never be perfect. But if we will walk through this, God will bless us and he will give peace to us, and he will restore us in the process as we seek to restore the relationships in our lives. Let's pray together.